Pluralism and rights are under threat across the world from communal violence, authoritarianism, and religious identity politics. How is the Middle East attempting to create more inclusive rights and citizenship? This podcast is part of Citizenship and Its Discontents, an initiative from the Century Foundation with support from the Henry Luce Foundation. Our research explores new approaches to rights, identity, and belonging in order to shift the policy debate about inclusion and pluralism in the Middle East and around the world. This podcast is hosted by Rohan Advani, a senior policy associate at the Century Foundation. Thanks for being on the podcast, Fanar. My pleasure. This paper specifically focuses on the evolution of sectarianism in Iraq. Um, Sectarianism has been an important framing tool for academics, practitioners, and journalists to understand the dynamics of conflict in the Middle East. First of all, why is this framework so salient, and what are some of its major drawbacks? Well, it's funny you say that sectarianism is, the evolution of sectarianism is the focus of the paper. It actually isn't, because uh, in my work, I am quite adamant that sectarianism, as a framing tool, is a flawed framing tool. I think it's uh, completely, uh, has done a lot more harm than good. I think it's undefined. I think it's uh, a diversion from uh, a closer analysis of the many facets and many phenomena that the term encompasses, mm-hmm. right? So I don't, I'm not interested in the evolution of sectarianism because quite frankly, I have given up trying to figure out what sectarianism is. Um, indeed, I have identified at least six ways in which the phrase is used. Uh, and that makes it a very problematic term, particularly as to use your words, uh, when it's used as a framing tool in academia, I think it's uh, I, I would I would uh, um, I I would be against that. Rather, I'd say you know we we should we should shelf that. And once you shelf that, you can start looking at the raw material uh, underneath the, the the phrase, namely sectarian identity, uh, sectarian relations, uh, how these develop and how these evolve, and that's what the paper looks at rather than sectarianism. Now, to answer your question, you said, why, why is it so salient uh, uh, in, in public discussions about the Middle East and in, in commentary on the Middle East and what have you? I think, well, firstly, it's sort of, uh, it's a handy explainer. Uh, it explains everything. And of course, in the process, it explains nothing. Sure. Um, I think it also validates a lot of pre-existing prejudice about the Middle East uh, by, firstly, by exoticizing uh, the Middle East and by exoticizing these identities. But that doesn't mean that sectarian identities don't matter. Absolutely, absolutely. Because there's a tendency to then just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Ab- absolutely. I think I think a, a, a massive uh, uh, mistake is sort of the counter, the, the counter push sometimes goes way overboard uh, whereby sectarian identity itself comes to be viewed as sort of a, 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 an invalid concept in the social sciences or what have you, which I think is, is absurd. Or a false consciousness. Or some kind of, absolutely, or some kind of a false consciousness. I think this is absolutely absurd. So when I'm saying we should do away with the term sectarianism, that does not mean I'm saying uh, we should do away with the 1001 things that the term refers to. I want to unpack that and sort of uh, 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 better identify what it is we're interested in. As, as we were saying, we can't deny the importance of sectarian dynamics or sectarian identities, um, even if sectarianism as an analytical framework is largely useless. Um, 
So sectarian identity has been pretty important in post-2003 Iraqi politics. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in your work, you've paid attention to the evolution of sectarian dynamics. Um, what, what exactly do you mean by tracing the evolution of it? And why is that important for understanding the state of Iraqi politics today? So what got me started on this, uh, I noticed that the early years, particularly the more spectacular early years after 2003, so say from 2003 to 2007, uh, it, it seems to have a disproportionate influence on how people think about sectarian dynamics in Iraq today, 10 years later. Um, and I think that this is this is a problem, uh, it's a very common problem, I think, in commentary on Iraq. And so I thought it would be interesting to try to, um, and again, by the way, the word sectarianism is a culprit here, mm. because it's just this term that's used to describe the last 15 years, right? Uh, whereas um, I think what we do need to do is sort of chart the ebbs and flows of um, sectarian dynamics. Uh, and you see it in all kinds of ways. So for example, Looking over the course of the last 15 years, the very meaning of sectarian identity, the content of sectarian identity, or rather the content of sectarian competition, uh, has shifted, has altered quite, quite, quite dramatically. So what used to be at stake in, say, 2005 is not the same as what is at stake today or what is at stake in 2014 or 2010 or whatever. Uh, in the earlier years, you had... And this has a cascading effect, of course, right, on, 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 on politics, on the, the political system itself, the Mahasasa system, and how that has evolved. Uh, so in 2005, you had a basic uh, struggle over the nature of the post-2003 order, right? The contours of this order had yet to be drawn. Uh, the order had yet to really be uh, uh, stabilized or to really emerge, um, so you had the very question of whether uh, uh, ethno-sectarian or communal, shall we, let's call them, identities should form the basis of politics in post-2003 Iraq. Um, so you, you had that sort of uh, 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 push and a shove over that, just the very concept of it. Then within that, you had a contestation as to the relative shares. So those who accepted uh, uh, that this is the new way of doing things, you had you had this sort of tug and uh, uh, tug of war as to the relative respective shares of each major community, particularly you know, the three-way division. Um, that today is no longer what animates the Muhasasa system, because people have sort of, or rather, the political actors who are uh, dabbling in this have accepted their respective shares, and this explains the shift to a more intra-Shia and a more intra-Sunni and an intra-Kurdish. Uh, the internal fragmentation of these books, this is what explains it. Now it's more about uh, the respective shares of the various entities and actors that make up what used to be these uh, uh, blocks. Uh, otherwise, no one's, no one's contesting, no one uh, uh, within the system, rather, is contesting in any serious fashion the principle uh, of, of uh, uh, ethno-sectarian apportionment, nor the respective shares of the three major blocks. So what, what makes the shift from sort of inter-sectarian conflict to intra-sectarian competition and contestation? The, the, the paper looks at this theme of normalization throughout with regards to this question and with regards to others. Uh, 
the more normalized the system becomes by definition, the more buy-in you get from, from the political, from the spectrum of political actors. Let's take, for example, the principle of the empowerment of Shia-centric, even Iran-aligned actors, right? Initially, this was, uh, 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 this proved so controversial that it led to civil war. It was resisted regionally and domestically to the point of civil war. Today, this is no longer a shocking or a uh, um, controversial issue. It's normalized. People like it. Some people don't like it. Uh, you love it, you hate it. It doesn't matter. It's accepted as part of the political uh, landscape, right? Um, and I think the more that the system gets normalized, uh, the more that opens way for intra-sectarian and intra-ethnic uh, 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 competition. So in the early years, the uh, Shia political classes positioned themselves as champions of Shia empowerment, of political empowerment, uh, of finally delivering the dream of the Shia majority ruling Iraq. Uh, and that's all they, that's pretty much all they had to present to their, to their prospective constitu constituents. Um, once the system is secure enough and the sense of threat is uh, sufficiently diminished, uh, they need to provide more. They need to come up with more than that. And this is where the intra-sectarian and intra-ethnic uh, uh, competition comes in. Uh, to put it a different way, the more secure the system is, um, the less currency the politis politics of sect have. So look, when we talk about uh, uh, normalization and relative stabilization, uh, and the normalization of the post-2003 order and how that feeds into uh, uh, the evolution of, of sectarian dynamics, uh, this also has a strong regional component. It's reflected regionally, and regional dynamics uh, in turn sort of shape what's going on in Iraq. Uh, when you look at sort of the earlier years and how controversial, uh, you know, this, this uh, Shia-dominated Iraqi polity uh, dominated by by by, by sect-centric, Shia-centric political actors, many of whom are quite Iran-aligned. Uh, this was extremely uh, uh, controversial in Iraq and regionally as well. And there was a feeling, a sense, and you and you sort of sense this in the discourse as well. And 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 again, sort of this issue of what passes for a populist message uh, that we, Iraq, but sort of in 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 brackets, Shia Iraq are embattled within Iraq by our enemies, by terrorists, by Ba'athists, by Takfiris, what have you. And we're embattled uh, as a country regionally. Uh, in, uh, we're in a sort of a, a, a region that rejects us, that rejects post-2003 Iraq, that refuses to help us, that have indeed pours uh, uh, fuel on the fire. This was the discourse, right? Um, and the, in turn, the regional discourse about Iraq was very negative, that this is a, you know, a Safavid state and this is a Safavid army and this is uh, basically just an Iranian puppet and what have you, and it was very pro-resistance and all that. That has changed, right? Regionally that has changed. We see that in, in sort of Iraq's reintegration into the region, uh, particularly in the improvement of relations with Saudi Arabia. Right. And the inroads that Saudi Arabia has tried to make uh, within Shia politics, right, within Iraqi Shia politics, to try to stake a claim uh, uh, in the in the Shia political landscape as well. 
Um, and you see, so, so this again sort of speaks to this point about the, the normalization, I beg your pardon, of post-2003 Iraq, both uh, regionally and in, in, in domestically. As part of that, this sort of uh, this reconstruction drive or this, uh, this conference in Kuwait, I yes. think a couple last year or yeah. so. I mean, does that also signal, right, that there's a normalization of the system and that this is how politics are going to be and we just have to, yeah, you know, the, I mean, play by these a, again, rules? Again, it's, it's, it's that normalization of Iraq. That Iraq is, is something that, that, that you know, the, the post-2000, post, the changes of post-2003 are not reversible. Yeah. Um, and that regional powers are recognizing that their interests are best served through a relatively stable Iraq in which they can do business and in which they can uh, foster relations and foster partnerships across the spectrum, as opposed to playing that zero-sum sectarian game. A similar thing can be said about Syria, by the way. Whereas a few years back, uh, you know, there was a very sort of sect-coded uh, discourse about the Syrian conflict, this is giving way to something else now. Um, for good or bad, we're seeing this sort of uh, 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 rehabilitation of, of the Assad regime uh, in, in Middle Eastern politics with embassies opening. The Emirates embassy opened mm -hmm. recently. Bahrain opened its embassy recently. Uh, so again, this is, I mean, when you, when you just think back to 20, let's say 2013, 2014, this was unthinkable. In a way, as the system normalized and came to be, quote unquote, more stable, even though its foundations may be rather shaky. Stable instability. <laughs> right. Did that put pressure on elites from their constituents now that they could no longer resort to sect-coded forms of uh, politics as a way of carrying out business as usual? Absolutely. I, th I think so. Uh, now, it hasn't yielded the result just yet, but I think the, the uh, uh, political classes are at a loss as to how to proceed from here. Uh, and they're struggling to move away from that earlier sort of mode of, of politics. They really are struggling to break through to uh, something new. Um, and, you know, so, so, some politicians are on record on this. I mean, I can't remember who it was who described that, you know, when we first arrived in Iraq, what did we have to, to offer them other than this, this issue of sectarian, sectarian to play on sectarian uh, uh, solidarity? Uh, Baha al-Araji has said this, Mahmoud al-Mashhadani has said this. Others have said this quite openly, that in the earlier years, this is, you know, all we had. Um, now today, and you see this, by the way, in, in, in electoral politics. I mean, look at the patterns in electoral politics, how from 2005, where in the first elections, something like 85% of the vote was dominated by three uh, blocks, a Kurdish alliance and a Sunni alliance and a, and a Shiri alliance. And how with each electoral cycle, it sort of fragments mm. more and more, particularly I'd, I'd single out 2014, and of course, especially uh, uh, these last elections. Um, in the earlier elections, the Shia, the Shia, the Grand Shia coalition, uh, I don't know, t took something like 48% of the vote. Uh, whereas in the, pre in the last elections in, in 2018, the best performing list, Sa'irun, uh, took, I don't know, something like, what is it, 14, 15% of the vote? Uh, so in electoral politics, you see that sort of uh, reflected uh, in political messaging as well. One thing I try to do in the paper as well is to suggest uh, w one way of tracking this is considering how, um, 
how what constitutes a populist message has changed over the years. And I suppose that sort of touches on, on your question as to how, how the political classes are to speak to uh, the Iraqi electorate, let's say. Um, yeah, what passed for a populist message in, in, in let's say, 2012 or 2010 uh, it, it no longer holds today. And you saw that the politics of sect or the, or the sectarian card, shall we say, yeah. uh, the... Uh, you know, the, the trademark uh, uh, raising fears of Baathist coups and what have you uh, with every election cycle, this no longer carries weight. Uh, and in 2018, I recall Abu Mahdi al-Muhandis uh, uh, mentioned that, you know, fears of sort of raise, try to raise fears of a, of a Baathi coup. It was a lead balloon uh, compared to when you go back to 2005 or 2010 um, to those elections. So what are some of the new populist messages that have some currency today? So, well, this is the problem. As a, as, again, it's, it's that struggle to break through to something meaningful. So I, from where I'm sitting, I see the political classes parroting the discourse of the, uh, 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 those pushing for reform, the discourse of the protest movement. Um, so it's all about reform. Uh, it's all about fighting corruption, exactly. Now, has anyone presented anything sort of remotely resembling an actionable uh, program? No to be honest, right? But uh, yeah, now the talk is all about reform, it's all about fighting corruption, uh, transparency, and all the rest of it. Citizenship and its Discontents is a Century Foundation initiative that brings together dozens of researchers to explore identity, inclusion, and community in the contemporary Middle East. Our contributors conducted extensive fieldwork in the region and aim to open a new line of discussion in the Middle East and among Western policymakers. To see our research and join the discussion, please visit the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org, and click on the Citizenship tab. You'll find our research reports, interviews, podcasts, videos, and more. Let's talk about the relationship between nationalism and sectarian identity in Iraq. Sometimes people th think of these things as mutually exclusive. Um, that being an Iraqi Shia and saying that the state is Shia-centric uh, is actually incompatible with a form of Iraqi nationalism. What are your thoughts on this uh, question? I think this is one of the most prevalent and most widely accepted uh, misconceptions about sectarian uh, relations and about sectarian identity, that it is a mutually exclusive to uh, national identity and nationalism. Uh, so often, to go back to that uh, phrase that we should never use, sectarianism, sectarianism is presented as the problem and the antidote is nationalism, right? Uh, and hence, uh, you get these calls for you know more nationalism to cure this. I think this fundamentally misreads the nature of sect modern sectarian identity and misreads the nature of nationalism. So the content of nationalism is not predetermined nor is it necessarily inclusive. I don't know why people just assume that nationalism is going to be more inclusive uh, than, sect, let's say, a sect-centric party, right? Um, you know, I'm sure we can think of many examples of nationalism that are completely horrible, 
you know, we wouldn't refrain from calling them nationalist. Donald Trump is still a nationalist. He's less inclusive than, I don't know, his Democratic opponents or his, uh, or his predecessor, uh, but he, we wouldn't hesitate to call him a nationalist, or at least we wouldn't think of, of saying he's not a nationalist, right? Uh, he's a form, he's presenting a form or a, a particular conceptualization of American nationalism. Something similar happens in places like Iraq or elsewhere whereby sectarian identity is asserted with reference to and in the name of the nation state, right? And the, uh, the prize indeed is the nation state. And what is at stake is the nation state. So often sectarian competition in, in, in modern times is about access to the state rather than about competing uh, uh, dogmas or competing uh, uh, conceptions of religious truth. So let's stick to Iraq. Uh, there's very little in the way of sort of rejecting the concept of plurality. Uh, people accept that, uh, you know, Iraq has Shias, Iraq has Sunnis. That is not the issue. The issue is the re relations of power between them. That's what's at issue. The hierarchies of power within the national frame Right? So a sect-centric party, to my mind, and as is amply evidenced in, in Iraq and elsewhere, a sect-centric party uh, puts forward a vision of the nation-state and a vision of nationalism that revolves around, or rather that centers, a particular sectarian group at the heart of the national narrative. This is why I think that the commonly bandied dichotomy of nationalism and quote-unquote sectarianism uh, is, is flawed, and that sectarian identity and national identity, far from being uh, uh, polar opposites, are actually in symbiosis. Uh, the Kurdish issue is another story, uh, and I think this is also, I mean, this, this points to a very co another very common mistake of viewing Sunni Shia dynamics in Iraq the same way or through the same prism uh, that we view Arab-Kurdish relations. Uh, the Kurdish issue is one of competing nationalisms. It, the Kurds have a national vision of their own. They have a national aspiration of their own. They have a, a historical memory of their own, etc. Uh, they very much do, I mean, I'm generalizing here, of course, but there is a, a, a feeling that Iraq is an imposition, uh, a, a, a sort of something that's preventing the emergence of the uh, uh, long yearned for sort of national Kurdistan. That does not apply to Sunni-Shia relations. Right. So it's, it doesn't take on the same sort of territorial uh, no. forms of political contestation that we see with Kurdish-Arab. No, not at all. And I think that nationalism plays a big role in this in that there's also a competition as to the content of nationalism, how to represent the nation state, uh, uh, the discursive, the, the symbolic, the material content of nationalism is something that is deeply uh, 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 sort of uh, can be in certain contexts contentious. Uh, uh, within Arab Iraq, uh, but that is not a negation of nationalism, as there is no alternate national nationalist aspiration, right. unlike in the case of the of uh, the Kurds. Right. What do you think are the most viable non-sectarian forms of community and belonging in Iraq, and what do you think are the limits of the current citizen regime in Iraq in in building a coherent but pluralistic society? With respect, I think that rather than asking what the uh, a viable non-sectarian form of community and belonging in Iraq, if we're going to talk about citizenship, uh, I think a bigger problem in Iraq is um, 
the institutional bases of citizenship are either weak or absent. So let me flip the question on its head. If people, if community was imagined along sectarian lines, mm -hmm. but in a context of robust institutions and strong rule of law and an independent judiciary, well, what's the problem with that? It might not be to my taste or yours, but it's not damaging. It's, it's not getting in the way of a functioning state. And for evidence, look to Switzerland, for example, right? But don't you think that the inherent sect-coded DNA of the state, you know, the allotment of shares according to sectarian identity impedes this process? I think it has impeded the process, but it's not the cause of why the process has been impeded. People blame corruption on muhasasa sometimes, mm -hmm. right? They blame inefficiency on muhasasa. And you think to yourself, well, regardless of muhasasa, corruption can flourish in contexts of uh, uh, weak institutions and in contexts of weak rule of law, uh, regardless of whether or not muhasasa is there. So it's a question of causality. I do not see muhasasa as the cause of this. I think it's a symptom of a wider issue. I think it makes a bad thing worse in the Iraqi case. If the politicization of sectarian isn't the main issue, then what is? So I think it was the main issue in the earlier years. But as I said, with the normalization of this, it becomes banal, right? Um, today the problem is an entrenched political elite marked by collusion in a system that they all benefit from, right? With very little in the way of trickle-down into broader society, right? I mean, we, t we keep talking about sectarian identity, but what is your average Shi'i or your average Sunni getting out of this? What are, what's Basra, a Shi'i city, getting out of this Shia-dominated country, right? So I think a far bigger problem, again, just get rid of that word sectarianism, uh, a far bigger problem uh, is these po are these political parties uh, that whether they operate in the name of, pretend to operate in the name of sect or in the name of whatever, uh, are more of a kleptocratic sort of elite, self-serving, cannibalistic, I'd say, cannibalizing the state. Uh, and they are uh, charged with, today now in the, in the current political climate, they are tasked with reforming the system that keeps them alive, right? And this, I think, is the problem. So this, this kleptocratic class, is, it's largely involved in sort of parasitic rent-seeking mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Right. Um, so does that mean that there needs to be a fundamental shift in the economic structure of the country? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the very economic DNA of the country uh, is so corrosive uh, to every facet of, of, of political life and economic life in, in Iraq. I imagine some may push back against your argument and say that even though sectarian identity may be losing its political relevance, Clearly, this country still suffers from a lot of insecurity and sectarian violence still persists. Is that a fair characterization? I mean, to, to preempt some, some sort of expected uh, uh, knee-jerk reactions to the paper, uh, and again, I think this is a function of this, the, the, the fetishization of this term sectarianism, mm -hmm. that it's the root of all evil and it's the heart of all evil. So to suggest that sectarian identities are losing political relevance... Uh, comes to be seen in, in, in sort of fantastical terms. Uh, and uh, one is sort of, uh, r runs the risk of being accused of, you know, being sort of uh, hopelessly naive or hopelessly optimistic. The paper is not an optimistic paper. Mm. 
Uh, and what what it describes is not the resolution of, of dysfunction, it describes the evolution of function of dysfunction. So I am just describing how things are evolving in Iraq and how they're shaping up, and they're not shaping up well. Sectarian identity is, is, is losing political relevance, that's the central point of the paper, uh, and there is that sort of diminished relevance of, of, of uh, uh, the Sunni-Shia divide. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all of Iraq's problems are solved or that, uh, you know, the other drivers of, of instability are gone or anything like that. Uh, even Sunni-Shia relations, it's it's not like, the, you know, they're all peachy now. <laughs> right. It's just evolved to something else. Mm. And, and what are those relations looking like at the communal level? The waning of fear or, mm-hmm. or sort of that, the, the, that fear element, the fact that that's no longer there, I think is really important. Uh, I think that had a very, very distortive uh, impact on Sunni-Shia relations in the earlier years. Fear. I mean, you, you come across it constantly uh, when you talk to uh, people in terms of their recollections of 06, 07, uh, 05 as well. Uh, sort of a fear of the whole. Um, as embodied by these, you know, uh, hate figures, be it Zarqawi or be it Abu Dira or be it whoever, right? Or be it, you know, the political classes or Saudi Arabia, whatever. And this comes to sort of embody the whole in popular perceptions. Uh, and this, you know, had, had a sort of a momentum of its own. Uh, that sort of fear factor, the fact that that's no longer there, I think has had a very positive impact on, on Sunni-Shia relations at the communal level. Uh, I think there's, a, I mean, for all the mistrust that exists, I think, again, the this theme of normalization uh, has played a role in sort of uh, fostering or allowing for uh, a more transactional relationship, uh, even between former sort of, you know, what you would consider adversaries. And here I'd look at, the, for, for example, the PMUs in Sunni areas, mm-hmm. uh, where this has sort of what, what was an existential issue, what was a sort of a conflictual issue has given way not necessarily to sort of, you know, embrace or, or, or pleasant relations or anything, but at least a more transactional uh, sort of uh, interaction rather than one of conflict or one of fear and hate. But to some extent, transactional relationships are still unstable, right? And they can... Oh, yeah, sort of, yeah. 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 And I, by the way, incidentally, at several points in the paper, I do make, I mean, I, I, I emphasize this, and thanks for bringing it up so I can preempt another knee-jerk mm-hmm. reaction you know, nothing, I mean, there's nothing to suggest that this is permanent. Right. I believe that the 0607 period, 050607, uh, was the product of exceptional circumstances that cannot be repeated. So that won't be repeated. But it doesn't mean that something equally destabilizing, but, but in a different form, won't emerge down the line. Right. And the Iraqi political classes, bless them, they have proven adept at uh, finding ways of, uh, um, you know, squandering opportunities. So there's every chance that this, 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 uh, you know, uh, the improvement in, in in security conditions and what have you will be will be sort of wasted. I mean, it can happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm not predicting the future. Sure. Um, it's more about describing the present. TCF World has been brought to you by the Century Foundation a progressive public policy think tank that seeks to foster opportunity, reduce inequality, and promote security at home and abroad. For more information about the work that TCF does, please visit tcf.org 
or follow us on Twitter and Facebook.